Episode 5 of The Fish Bowl. We have a very special guest today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey guys, my name is Emmanuel Agladimer. I'm a sophomore here at Grove City College. I'm a Biblical and Religious Studies and Social Work double major. I'm from Lagos, Nigeria. Awesome. Uh, what what part of Nigeria is that? The north or the south? It's the south. Okay. It's the biggest city in Africa. And how would you describe life there? Very, very busy, similar to life in New York City. There are about 20 million people living in the city of Lagos. Um, you go out 2 a.m. in the morning, 3 a.m. in the morning, and your business is everywhere, always lively. They're always open. Yep. Is this it's also... a city that never sleeps. <laughs> Quite literally, right? Yep. So is this all sorts of different businesses, or is it just... Yeah, all sorts of different businesses. Um, it's just the life. It's the city life. There are nightclubs, there are joints that, you know... People do different things, and there's always business to do when people are out that late. Wow. Yeah. So what were some of the things you occupied yourself doing uh, while you were living there? How do you pronounce it? Lagos. Lagos, Nigeria. Lagos. Yeah, exactly. Lagos. <laughs> he lived there for the first 17 years of your life. life. Yep. So you got to quite experience, you know. A lot of different parts, I'm guessing, of the city that never sleeps. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. About Lagos? About what you did there. Oh, what I did Where your hobbies are um, over there. So, I played soccer. Soccer is the biggest sport in Africa as a continent. And because um, of my height, um, the basketball coach talked me into playing basketball. Cause it was a, <laughs> Real quick, Emmanuel, how tall are you? I'm just 6'3 right now, mm -hmm. but... Back then, I was the tallest one amongst my friends. I did play with a lot of guys that were way taller than me. But, yeah. So, the basketball coach um, convinced me into playing basketball at the academy um, in the area where I lived. And I just picked up basketball, fell in love with it, and it kind of gave birth to my dream of wanting to come to America to get uh, a scholarship. I saw basketball as a means of getting a free education in the number one nation in the world. Absolutely. How old were you whenever you first started playing basketball? I was around 12. Mm -hmm. um, my mom never supported me playing basketball. She was okay with me playing soccer because it wasn't a commitment. I just played with friends. But then for basketball, I was in the academy. So that took a chunk of my time. And she was worried about my grades, but it never affected my grades. So... She ended up supporting me after I captained the junior national team. That's when I won her over. So tell me about that process. Emmanuel literally was the captain of the junior national Nigerian team. First off, how did you get to that position? How did you get to um, be on the team even before you were captain? Um. So the academy... I played in, we learned the basic fundamentals of basketball. And we have a reputation in Nigeria for being, um, for producing really good players. Um, apart from myself, I've had other players, uh, we've had other players from my academy, from my academy that captain even the senior national team. So we've had, a, we have a really good coach um, that uh, 
helped us build a solid foundation fundamentally in basketball. And uh, I, I, I was a workaholic. I would go to practice an hour before practice and practice an extra hour after practice. So my um, improvement was uh, pretty rapid. And um, the coach of the junior national team came and watched me play. Uh, one time where we were just playing um, pickup basketball and we were playing against older guys and I was able to compete against these older guys and he was really impressed. And I got invited to camp and um, they got players from all over the country uh, and ended up taking 12 of us and I ended up being the captain. That's incredible. Yeah. So with you practice that really did make perfect because i'm guessing at the age of 12 there were other individuals who started much younger than that yeah yeah i had to put in a lot of extra work um yeah i just i'm a hard worker uh when i find something i believe that whatever is worth doing is worth doing well so yeah I, i just stay committed to improving and god helped me and i improved <laughs> well spoken absolutely so, during your experience on the junior national team, you traveled around many different countries, just throughout Africa or throughout the globe? It was just um, in West Africa. We actually went to a neighboring country called Republic of Benin, and that's where we mainly played. Um, we played against other West African countries and won every single game, ended up winning a tournament. We were supposed to go to Egypt um, for the next um, level, but then there wasn't enough funding, so that trip got canceled. But, yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it was quite unfortunate. We were pretty, pretty sad and bummed about it. But And how old were you at that time? I was 16. 15, 16. It was a U16 junior national team. Wow. Yeah. So if you're listening and you want to pick up a sport, whether it be ping pong, tennis like myself, or basketball, the trick to doing well and even becoming a leader on whatever you do is just putting in those extra hours, right? So I think that's fascinating. That's a story that many people, you know, couldn't even fathom experiencing. What are some of the things that that experience taught you? Uh, taught me a lot um, but it just taught me that whatever you put your mind to and you're willing to pay the price and by price I mean just staying committed there are going to be times there were times where I was injured there were times where I was on the bench um, and watching other guys you know handing out water bottles and picking up towels and stuff like that but all that was motivation for me. There were times where um, I would play in a game, I wouldn't get a single minute on the floor. And right after that game, I would just go shoot and work on my dribbling skills and just try to improve myself. So I know I learned that just working hard, um, staying committed, keep you going even when um, things get rough. Absolutely. Wow. Now, some. what are some of the differences between living in Nigeria, uh, lifestyle-wise, and living here in the United States? Um, there are lots of differences. Um, 
I would say, I would like to say that my experience um, coming from Lagos would be different from the experience of someone living in northern Nigeria, where um, it's mainly Muslim, and Nigeria is half Muslim, half Christian, so we will have different experiences, and Lagos is a big city. And one funny thing is, um, prior to coming to America, uh, what I saw on TV were places like New York City, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, tons of skyscrapers, a lot of people, expensive cars. So I, I um, assume that that's what all of America was like. <laughs> then I flew from Lagos um, to Pittsburgh, and uh, we're driving down to what would be my new host family's house, and I saw dead animals on the road. I looked to my left and my right. There were trees and bushes. Thought to myself, this is not the America I saw on TV. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, so life is different. I have never hugged my mom. My mom has never told me she loves me. Um, and that doesn't mean she doesn't love me, but it's just something that we don't do in our culture. Um, I would say the respect, it's, it's more of a hierarchical um, setting. In America, it's more egalitarian. Respect for adults is highly emphasized. Um, also, people, the, the um, concept of time. In America, you know, everyone is always busy, always, you know, up to something. You always have a schedule, you always have a plan. Back home, it's different. We pay more... Um, I would say we place people more important than time, more important than schedules, more important than plans. So let's say I have a meeting at 8 and a friend of mine stops by to talk to me. I would stay with him and talk for however long he wants to talk and arrive at my meeting at 8.30. Culturally accepted. So that was the... Wow, that's incredible. Now, back to the concept of time. I've experienced that before, actually going to the Dominican Republic. There, everything's so relaxed. Mm -hmm. People will tell you to arrive at 10, <laughs> or they'll arrive at 10, and they get there at, like, 11, yeah. right, or whenever. And it's fascinating to see, you know, actually, one of the missionaries I went with told me there's regular time and there's dominican time dominican time is anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour behind schedule yep which is just fascinating to me but it's a lot less stressful yeah people are less stressed people are happier and content um however um i'll say there there are, um you know upsides to both you know the american um concept of time and our concept of time um, you get a lot more done when absolutely you, you know um, stress this, often yields yeah. productivity yeah it does that's very true so yeah so you get more done we don't really get as much done back home but i'd say we're more um satisfied and happier and just content but it's just yeah it's just a cultural um thing it's the way the culture is set and another thing is the culture here, it's uh, it's more individualistic. And back home, it's more communal. So people do things together. Here, it's more about the individual. 
um, society revolves around the one the individual, but back home it's like everyone kind of lives are intertwined. My mom can discipline her friend's child if she sees that person misbehaving. So it's like she's saying that the community cha- trains a child. Wow. It's more community effort based. And for you, how has that changed in kind of being community oriented to more so independent been for you? Um, I've always been an independent person. Um it's just for me, I'm an adaptable person. So there there have been, you know, struggles, especially in relationships. Um just um, you know, you see your friend and you want to talk to them, but like, oh yeah, I have, I have, I have to, I would look, like to love to talk to you now, but I have to be at this certain place. Like, huh? Okay. But people are just always on the go, always on the go, always on the go, no time for people. So that's kind of, that's kind of be being hard to adapt to, but then that's what the culture here is. And if you want to thrive here, you just have to, you know, adapt to it. So what I do is I try to pick what I think is the best part of this culture and, you know, um, adapt to that and whatever. I just think, nah, I just not, don't do it. Don't try to adapt to it. So I try to get the best of both worlds. Fascinating. Yeah. So up next, you were talking a little bit about the food. I'm really eager to hear about that. Oh, it's, it's majorly different. Um, which one's better? I'll say my food back home. <laughs> um, prior to coming here, it's 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 a lot more spicier, uh, way more natural. Lots of um, vegetables, and when I say vegetables, I don't mean um, spinach and stuff like that. Just our own kind of vegetables, and um, just natural. We eat very. Um, less of processed food, spicy. So there are about five hundred and five hundred and twenty different tribes in Nigeria, which means there are five hundred and twenty different languages spoken in Nigeria, and each tribe has at least two dishes that or delicacies they are known for making. So it's very, very um, what's the word? Rich. Yeah, rich and diverse. Mm-hmm. And diverse. So. Yeah, but it's very different. Very, very different. One big difference I noticed when I came was um, meat in Nigeria is always, it's either salty, you know, or spicy, never sweet. But then I came here and there's barbecue chicken and barbecue itself, um, pulled pork. And that was just so different. I didn't like it at first because things that were sweet were things like tea, um, pop or soda those are sweet things you know juice but cake and stuff like that but food was never maybe plantains can be sweet naturally sweet but you, you would never have sweet chicken or sweet you know anything with that sweet so it's very very different uh, it took a while to get for me to start liking it but right now I've gotten used to it so my fourth year in America and I've been Getting used, I've been, uh, I would say I've adapted to um, the food here. Back home, I usually ate about 
on average four square meals a day. I eat a lot. So wow. I love food and yeah, it will be hard for me not to adapt to food anywhere I go, <laughs> anywhere <laughs> I end up. But yeah. yeah. Well said. What's your favorite dish here? Um, My favorite dish here, I would say is stuffed eggshells. I think that's kind of Italian. I like Italian. Wow. I like Ita- Chinese and Italian. But yeah, stuffed eggshells. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah. Yes, I like that. My host family makes that and I do enjoy eating it. And then there's uh, another chicken with pecan. I don't know if you know what that is, but... Never had it. Really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. But yeah, I would say stuff eggshells. Wow. Well, yeah. Chinese, Italian, you're quite the worldly man, Emmanuel. <laughs> That's fascinating to me. Now, what are some of the signature dig- dishes of, say, you know, whatever tribe you're part of over in okay. Nigeria? So I'm from the Ifik tribe, um, southeastern Nigeria. Um, the names are local names, so you wouldn't, you know, know necessarily understand it, but it's called Afang Soup. That's what my tribe is known for making, and several other kind of soups. But Afang is my favorite. My mom makes; she knows it's my favorite, and she when she makes that, I eat till I get sick, literally. So it it has <laughs> goat meat in it, um, fish, um. Periwinkles, yeah, periwinkles, and just... Sounds delicious. My parents are from Peru in South America, and my mom makes this delicious dish, and it's cow tongue. Oh. It's cow tongue that... Cow tongue? Cow tongue. We have a tribe that that eats cow tongue in Nigeria. Absolutely. It's just delicious. Yeah. It's probably my favorite dish ever. Yeah. And that's one delicacy I love to eat, you know, whether I be here or in Peru. Um, but nonetheless, it brings back those memories. Memories, yeah. That's fantastic that you mentioned that. It really kind of I resonate with that. How about like desserts or drinks or anything like that? Mm. Drinks, um, I try to eat healthy. I love cheesecake. That would be my favorite dessert here in America. We don't really do. Now you were telling me how your dad is actually a pastor mm-hmm. over in uh, Lega- Lagos. Lagos. Yeah, he wasn't a pastor in Lagos. He was a pastor in Jos, which is in Plateau State, North Central Nigeria. That was where he died in a car accident. He was a police officer and a pastor of a church as well. So tell me about that experience. Um, yeah, my mom went to the village and she came back, and uh, she had left some stuff on the other side of the road, and my dad and I went to pick it up. So we were we were waiting to cross to the other side of the road. And I don't know, for some reason, this driver just left the road and came on to where we were standing. Lady that, w- that worked at our church. So we were taken to the hospital. I survived. The lady survived. She had a miscarriage because she was pregnant. 
Um, but my dad was in the hospital for about 10 days before he died. And then we had to move from Joss to Lagos because my mom knew something. Which, uh, I don't know. It's uh, sad that he's not here. I didn't really get to know him. I feel more sorry for my younger ones. My brother was around just two two years old. My sister was about just I knew him um for longer had him around for longer than they did so i feel sorry for them i do feel sorry for my mom as well one thing that gave us comfort was the fact that we know that he's in a better place so yeah that's incredible how was it like being present whenever that happened i was seven so i didn't really put much thought into it I didn't really, I didn't cry when he was being buried. I was just, I didn't know what was going on, basically. So I didn't really mourn at that time. Crying. So, well, yeah, I didn't really think about it when it happened. That's incredible. How has that shaped your life, you know, whether it be kind of intrinsic or anything else like that. Um. So in, in in our culture, the first son the first son has a lot of responsibilities. My um dad was the first son. He went to school and then put saw his four young, three younger brothers through school, um high school and college. So you have a lot of responsibility being the first son. So I kind of put that on myself and saw myself as the first son. And uh, so I had it made me more responsible, um, independent, and um, stubborn in a positive way, very stubborn in a positive way. Um, determined. Yeah, I was very determined, um, and just wasn't scared of anyone because I saw myself as the one person that would have to um, look after my younger ones, my mom. Um, to protect them physically in any way. I just saw myself as the dad of the house now after my dad left. I'm young age, and yeah, it's helped me um, to be determined. Um, most of the decisions I've made, I've made on my own. So made a lot of mistakes, but like learned from them. And yeah. What are some of the mistakes you've learned from? Um, I made a lot. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> don't we all top question um i let's see just you know the kind of friends are hung out go party in a neighboring country because our currency was um had more value than theirs so we rent a hotel by the beach and, that's fascinating and, what and, what country <laughs> huh what um, country the republic of benin where i played for the junior national team our currency was way, way, had way more value than, than their currency. So we would, you know, go there, get a hotel by the beach, and just do stuff. And, uh, yeah, mostly just stuff that never crimes, never committed any crimes, but just just wild. <laughs> We're just wild. <laughs> we all have that phase, though, don't we? Yep, <laughs> we all do. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, it's great you got to experience it then because over here on campus, there definitely is no uh, 
It's quite dry. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I don't know. I would say I wouldn't want my kids to do that, but I'd say after seeing it all, it's like what's the point, you know? There's no I've seen it all, done it all. So it doesn't it's not enti- it's as enticing, you know, as tempting. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. So you were telling me a little bit before we started recording how you actually got to Grove City. And I think that's fascinating how your whole life has really divinely led you to where you are right now in my dorm. (laughs) 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 So tell the Fishbowl listeners how, in fact, you know, you actually... Uh, got to Grove City specifically um, from your time here in the United States. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to be very um, brief. It's it's a really long story. But, um, you know, came here in 2014, hoping, really I came on a basketball scholarship, hoping to go play D1. Um, my senior year of high school, I messed my shoulders up, had to get surgery on both shoulders in 2016. And so I missed every opportunity of going D1 um, and getting a full ride because that's how I, I thought that was the only way I could get an education. College education was through um, basketball scholarship. So um, all that fell through and senior year had no offers. So I was like, okay, um, someone had told me about grocery before. But I never took it serious because I knew that grocery was Division three and Division three colleges don't give you full scholarships. But then I just, um, as a step of fate, you know, applied to grocery college, um, got accepted. I graduated from high school with high honors in my class, um, graduating class. So that helped grocery college. Uh, but then I, I had to come up with $20,000. Um, and, uh, I remember on, uh, on, uh, Friday, we got an email from Grove City that said, um, I had about nine days to deposit my tuition or they were going to cancel my acceptance. And, um, what that, what made that, what made that a big deal was, was my visa was going to expire in, the, in August of 2016. And if I was in, in school, then I would have to go back. I didn't want that to happen. So going to school, being being enrolled at a college is what would have made it possible for me to still be in America. So that was uh, really, really stressful. And I was going through physical therapy to recovering from my surgery. Um, so I got that email on Friday and Monday. Prior to that, we've been praying and talking to different people. Monday... At about 11 p.m., after going around Pittsburgh looking for people that could help, we get a call from this. Um, How did you go around looking for people who could help? Uh, my host family, they really, really helped me. So they just drove me around. We you know, looked on the Internet for organizations that could help. We found one in Pittsburgh. Um, and the head of this organization was actually a lady from Lagos, Nigeria. Wow. But they only helped um, refugees. So they couldn't really, they were, they, she wasn't of uh, much help to me. But then that night, Monday night, we get a call from this um, um, family that knew about my situation. And the wife called and said her and her husband had been praying and they felt God leading them to pay 
for my um, freshman year of college. So we told them how much I needed, and I went to her a couple of days after that, and she gave me a check of $20,000, and that's how I ended up here. That's incredible. And, and yeah, so God used definitely, um, there was, that was divine intervention. And ever since, God has been providing for me through different families. So, yeah. So, I ended up here. My plan was to, um, you know, do rehab, play one year, one year here at Grove City, and then go try out. I was already talking to someone that was going to try to get me into pit. But then, after spending a year here, I really enjoyed it, really liked it. And I just said, okay, I'll just go the remaining three years. So... Go trusting that God would provide, and He's been faithful since. Wow, and you're studying biblical and religious studies, studies and social work as yeah. well as social work. But you have aspirations afterwards, yeah, to go to graduate school to be a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I had always um, thought about going to law school, but I always thought about it then. The one thing that discouraged me was I thought about it as outside my reach. I didn't think I could afford it. Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, people were paying for me to go through a four-year college. I didn't see why people would want to pay for me to go to law school again. Why I could just get a job and start providing for myself. Um, but then after thinking about it, um, there are lots of opportunities that, uh, you know, of getting scholarships into law school and there are other ways that I know that, you know, God could potentially provide for me. And um, high school, senior year, I was in debate and I was uh, really good in debate in my in my class. Um, no one wanted to debate against me. So I uh, think, you know, it's something that I would enjoy doing and it's uh, something I can use. Um, one way or the other to serve God and, you know, to serve people. That's interesting. What sort of law are you looking into? Or uh, right now, I, maybe criminal law right now, but it, that, that could change. I haven't really looked into it as much. I still need to talk to people. I've already gone through law school and get some advice and do some more research. Do you want to live in the United States for the rest of your life? Uh, my plan is to, yeah, um, you know, graduate, go lo go to law school, get a job here, and settle down here while I'm able to visit my home country and have my family come visit me. Plan is to settle down here. Perhaps around the Pittsburgh area? Um, I don't know. With all this snow... In the north, I don't know, man. I went to Florida. I went to Florida um, in 2016, and that felt a lot like home. So <laughs> I don't know. Wherever God wants me, personally, I would love to go to go where it's warmer. But we'll see. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <Absolutely>. Especially now. <laughs> so thank you, Emmanuel, so much for being on the podcast, the Fishbowl today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. One last thing I asked everyone before we finish up. What's your favorite quote? Favorite quote? Um, huh. I have two favorite quotes. Um, I'd say one is the, just the last two lines from a poem, Invictus. 
Um, it says, uh, I am the captain of my soul and I'm the master of my fate. You're the captain of your my soul. My soul. Soul. And I'm the master of my fate. F-A-T-E. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. What's the, what's the second one? Oh, the second one, it comes from the Bible. It's Matthew 6, 33. Um, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Um, and every other thing shall be added unto you. Yep. I think those two go with your story and your life and your person very well. Once again, Emmanuel, thank you so much. And that's all for this episode of The Fishbowl.